Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending November 17th, 2023. This week, turkeys aren't the only thing David Zaslav will be carving. I'm Kim Hollis, who will punch you into coins. Someone's been watching Scott Pilgrim. Someone has. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator, gamer, and new head of programming at Netflix. Congratulations. I'm just an ideas guy. What can I say? <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who will always wonder what might have been with Mike Soroka. In some alternate universe, he's one of the best pitchers of all time. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burrell, who's enjoying Twitter's rapid, unscheduled disassembly. <laughs> Sometimes bad things do happen to horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> This week, we're catching up on a few stories as we enter the Thanksgiving and Christmas quiet season. Details of the actor's deal with Hollywood Studios and streamers emerged, and we learned the good and bad of it. Yeah, while it's certainly a significant new contract for SAG-AFTRA, the Actors Guild, it's obvious it didn't include everything the actors wanted or deserved. I think this demonstrates how poorly positioned the actors were before the strike and how far they still have to go to earn what they really truly deserve. Yeah, I think we kind of got a hint of this when they started saying, we'll also renegotiate again in three years, which is not what you say when things are going great. And also a very common refrain to what we heard after the WGA strike ended. The actors did get a 7% increase in most minimums, but that doesn't even keep up with inflation. So in terms of true buying power, it should probably be considered a pay cut. SAG-AFTRA also received a flat $40 million residual bonus per year for streaming content. I already had have concerns about that. Firstly, why is it a fixed number? It means that that number will be the same no matter how profitable the studios are. Streamers such as Netflix fought hard against a floating amount based on subscribers, so the fixed number was the best SAG-AFTRA could get. As with the WGA contract, earnings from this fund will only apply to new projects, in this case, quote, series, miniseries, and long-form pictures that have initial exhibition on or after January 1, 2024. So once again, if you starred in a past hit that happens to bubble up in popularity later, tough luck. I really don't understand. I think that overall, this is a good deal for the actors. I want to stress that. I think that to a certain extent, the union held and they got the best deal they possibly could have. But I don't understand this part of it because... There were products before 2024, so you need to be fighting tooth and claw to get everything included, not just, okay, it counts from now on. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that really bugs me. We've talked about throughout the strike actors in, say, Orange is a New Black, who really weren't getting any money at all out of their performances. We would have hoped that they'd now retroactively be getting money for those projects, and that's just never going to materialize. Also, similar to the WGA contract, the metric on what qualifies as a hit will be based on a project viewed by at least 20% of a particular streamer's domestic subscribers in the first 90 days. As we discussed previously, that is actually a very high threshold and not a lot of shows qualify there. And there was an interesting debate over this fund as SAG-AFTRA wanted to distribute that money however they saw fit, while the studios felt strongly that the majority of it should go to the actual actors who performed on those hit shows. They eventually decided on a compromise where three quarters of it would go to actors on those shows and SAG-AFTRA would distribute the remaining $10 million according to their own terms. 
But by far, the biggest sticking point that's emerged from the contract pertains to artificial intelligence and the studio's use of AI performers. This is apparently what delayed a resolution of the strike for some time. And even now that there is an agreement, there are some within SAG-AFTRA that feel the agreement doesn't go far enough and the language is nebulous enough that it may allow studios to cast movies entirely with artificial actors that wouldn't pay dues to the union. Yeah, we've actually had people involved with the negotiations who came out and said that the leadership at SAG-AFTRA ignored them on this and did not do enough. And this vote was not as close to unanimous as the writer's strike vote was, which tells you the Writers Guild thought they got a better deal. The Actors Guild is understandably worried about, you know, hollow Tupac and everything that comes from that, where there's no protecting your license once you're dead. And without the guardrails in place, you can be used without your consent and without your financial compensation. Raul, is there anything that's stopping that from happening? Well, there are some guardrails, but like you said, David, there aren't enough. Those guardrails that are in place will not keep studios from bullying actors into allowing themselves to be digitized and their likeness used in the future. That is to say, if you're an actor who is up for a role and you object to these AI stipulations, there's nothing to keep a studio from just hiring someone else who's more agreeable. And as we learned recently, a lot of people don't even realize this is happening. When you're part of a herd who is doing work as extras on projects, they will just digitize you in a room and then you'll find out after the fact, wait, I'm being used here, here, and here without compensation. There are so many questions about this and the problem is we have so little fundamental understanding of what the possibilities are of AI that you can't account for everything. And Raul, this is history repeating itself, isn't it? We didn't understand what streaming was going to be like when the deal was worked in 2007, 2008, and not coincidentally, 15 years later, we can see the logic flaws all over the place of what should have happened but didn't. We're on that same trajectory, aren't we? This falls very much into another one of those trust us scenarios, just like streaming, where there are some who are going to argue that AI just is not there. It's not ready. It can't possibly be used in the way that people fear. But then why not just codify it? It goes back to, yes, streaming residuals. And even before that, DVD residuals, where the studios would argue that, no, there just isn't that much money in these markets. So don't worry about it. We'll put it in a contract in the future. And in the meantime, the studios reap all this money money and the actors get very little. It goes back to what I was just saying about how the actors in the end started off the negotiations in a very weak position and they were simply just trying to play catch up and they caught up a little bit, but they haven't caught up nearly enough. On the Bally Sports front, the Regional Sports Network is making progress on its attempts to emerge from bankruptcy, as both the NBA and MLB have agreed to stick it out with the RSNs for one more year. I don't know. I feel kind of like saying they're making progress to get out of bankruptcy is like saying Elon Musk is making progress with X. Uh, (laughs) I don't see it. Okay. This is much more favorable to the NBA and MLB than it is really to Bally Sports. This feels very much a pragmatic approach from both leagues for the NBA, at least it's 2023-24 season has already begun and the games are already on the RSNs. It's like the leagues are just buying themselves time as they line up their next solution for delivering content to the consumer. Yeah, if I can make a different metaphor This is like two married people who hate each other saying, we'll stay together because Junior is in uh, a senior in high school. After that, you and I are done and I never want to see you again. 
<laughs> that is not a bad analogy. Look, if convenience for the consumer was all that mattered, the leagues would follow the model of the NFL and Sunday tickets and create a single package for all their games with no blackouts. But so long as there's more money in portioning out their rights to multiple stakeholders, that's what these leagues are going to do. Fortunately, that option seems to be less and less viable every day as that money just isn't materializing. And the right approach may ultimately be the more consumer-friendly one. In a perfect world, yes, we will see that single package, but why would you only take one paycheck for something when you can get five or six paychecks for the same work? That's exactly what it's like with these leagues. And even with fewer people able to pay, there's enough that there's competition and thereby more slices of pie to dole out. Yes, Diamond is collapsing, which we anticipated on this podcast, what, three years ago? It's been obvious to anybody paying attention. However, the teams are now going to have control of their own stuff from now on, and they're basically going to create, I, I guess, Tim, I would describe it as many yes networks. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot, a lot more of that for the bigger market teams, at least. Where loyal fans are going to be able to supplement their teams and thereby help their teams with salary, by the way. Every baseball team, every NHL team, every NBA team is going to control their own fate more than they've been able to in the past. And that's going to lead to some really fascinating digital rights where the most loyal fan bases are going to do the best with this. Lastly, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zasloff has found something else to cut as the cycling streaming service GCN Plus will be getting the axe. To be fair, I don't think any of us had ever heard of this service before today. <laughs> I'm not even sure what GCN stands for, but it served a very specific niche as it brought live cycling competitions and hundreds of cycling documentaries to fans of the sport. If WBD is serious about building out their Bleacher Report sports content, they should fold the cycling content into that service. In addition to road and mountain bike competitions, it also showcased cyclocross events, which are wild. Back when NBCU was still offering the Olympic Channel, I watched cyclocross there and it was <laughs> incredibly entertaining. I truly feel there's a market for these non-mainstream sports. I'd love an opportunity to switch on a streaming service and watch live cycling or surfing or cross-country competition. So far, Bleacher Report on Max is pretty sad. WBD shares the NHL contract with ESPN. At almost any time, I could switch on ESPN and watch multiple different hockey games, except for the nights when there's hockey on TNT. Then there's only one game I can watch on stream streaming on Max's Bleacher Report, and come the new year, I'll have to pay extra on top of the regular price of Max to even watch that. I can switch on ESPN right now or almost any time of the day or night and watch something live. That's definitely not the case with Bleacher Report. I don't really understand what they're trying to do with that streaming service, but maybe this is an indication that they're looking to consolidate all sports there. I'd like to see that happen. I have serious concerns here, Raul. I was telling you about them earlier today, and that is I'm worried that they're going to set this up as the fall guy where it's going to be their diamond sports, where they're going to unload some of the Warner Brothers Discovery debt on a Bleacher Report spinoff. If they're positioning this to fail, I mean, at some point, somebody has to take away the keys from David Zaslav. It's as simple as that. 
All right. Before we talk about the ratings, Tim, let's discuss the box office. Yeah, I guess we have to for a little bit because we do have, believe it or not, three new movies in the top three for this weekend, three new releases, uh, which is bad news for the movie that was number one last weekend. More on that in a moment. Uh, We start out with The Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Really? That's the subtitle. Uh, 19.2 million on Friday. So sure, for a franchise that was long thought to be just over and done with for the you know spinoff. This is basically better than the Marvels, even though it doesn't have the MCU brand. So it shows there is still demand for the Hunger Games if they can just figure out something better to do with it than this prequel, because there isn't a lot of enthusiasm for it. It's kind of the same spot as the Marvels in terms of critical appeal. But 19 million for a presumed dead franchise, I'd call that pretty decent. Wouldn't That's you? not bad. Yeah, I, I don't know the, the budget on this, and I'm sure there were people disappointed when they realized it didn't star Jennifer Lawrence. But yeah, that, that's surprising. that And it's the right weekend because this is the, the, the weekend before Thanksgiving. So anything released this weekend gets tends to get a bump over the holiday week. The budget's $130 million. Uh, Okay, well, it depends on the worldwide box office, but we'll see. Uh, in second, we have Trolls Band Together, 9.3 million. Of course, Trolls was the famous uh, movie that was going to release right before uh, the world ended in 2020. That was what, Trolls World Tour, I think. Yep. That's yes. Right. And, and then that, that became the first one of the first things to go to straight to streaming because we, we didn't know when we would have movie theaters again. I actually almost expected this to be day and date being a universal film, but no, it's it's only in theaters. So this, this is, I guess, is, is fine. It will absolutely, you know, draw in some younger audiences and then hold its own next weekend because that's generally the pattern realistically it'll probably be on peacock by christmas i can see that too though but yeah i am amused there were a lot of disney haters who were hoping this would do super well so they could say "Ooh, it did better than wish those people are (laughs) gonna have to be quiet now but you know realistically speaking trolls is not what i would describe as a beloved franchise universal thinks it's better it is as a matter of fact they're going to build something called i kid you not if current plans hold the troller coaster um that's what they're actually calling it at universal orlando resort and so they believe in the brand more than they probably should. But this is the type of performance shows that there at least is some demand for it. And third is something called Thanksgiving, Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. So it's, yeah, it's a horror slasher film just apparently set around the holidays. I wouldn't eat the turkey. <laughs> uh, 3.8 million. I'm sure this was not expensive to make. Uh, yeah, estimated budget of 15 million. So yeah, that'll end up profitable by the time it's done. So sure. Which brings us to fourth place and last week's movie, The Marvels. 2.8 million on Friday, which is approximately an 87% decline. This is an abject disaster. This is not making $100 million domestically. Oh my God. I'm sorry, did you say 87%? 87%. Yes, you do that. It does include, you know, what what it earned last last Thursday. But there should be like sirens going off somewhere in Marvel or Disney headquarters, or at least in Kevin Feige's head. If you had Five Nights at Freddy's making more money than the Marvels, you you win. And I don't think that's that was many people six months ago. I don't get it. This is wrong, and I feel like I should just go to the movies and watch it just to spite. <laughs> the people not going i mean it's a brutal weekend for disney because that's not the new disney release is it tim 
Oh, do I have to count next goal wins? Okay, that's certain. <laughs> do I have to count next goal wins? Okay, that yeah. That tells it just, the it story, just, doesn't it? <laughs> it just hit me that that says it's Searchlight and that's Disney now. That's Taika Watiti. I mean, yeah, that's somebody. I, I expected that to do better, yes. And, and the other new release this weekend, next goal wins. So we had four releases going forward the weekend before Thanksgiving, which again, this is always a great weekend because you go into Thanksgiving, you tend to hold pretty well from what you open to, but only 1.1 million. And yes, this is Taika Watiti directing the story about a Michael, uh, yes. Michael Fassbender as a coach who is sent to a Pacific island to coach the American a soccer Samoa team. soccer team. Yeah. Just to be clear, folks, the Marvels and Next Goal Wins combined on Friday to make slightly more than Thanksgiving on its own. Yeah, they are not going to have a good Monday at Disney. So box office, is, it's okay. You know, it's it's not, again, we are going to look back at October 2023, a year from now, and be like, what the hell happened? But this is pretty much what we would expect from box office at, uh, these days. And next weekend, again, the holiday weekend, movies do well. There is the actual new Disney movie, Wish, which... We hope does well, but yeah, this is this is this is the state of box office now. I think even if we say this is the state of box office now, we need to acknowledge the fact that what has happened with the Marvels is an extinction level event mm-hmm. in terms of just obliterated box office on the second weekend. This is rare air, not just for Marvel, for anything. So this is, I've known all along the Marvels was a troubled production, but Kim and I kind of like the film. I mean, it's not what its reputation is being held as but this is the type of thing where it's going to get buried now and it is not going to be spoken of kindly domestically captain marvel in 2019 yes it's a different era now 426 million domestically 1.1 billion worldwide and this will not even make 100 million the marvels will not even make 100 million domestically that is just absolutely shocking well, how about we go on and talk about the ratings for some maybe some good news? Maybe uh, I don't know. I think it's a it's a light week, but, but let's let's see what we have. We are looking at the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, October sixteenth to Sunday, October twenty second, twenty twenty three. And your top original show of the week for the second week is The Fall of the House of Usher, one point four billion minutes for the eight episode series. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that that seems like good news right there. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually quite good. We talked about it last week, Raul, but you were actually in the minority of people not liking this show. But Mike Flanagan just kind of, I guess, has a def- decent following now with his with his series. Sure. Yeah. If that's how you want to spend your time, I can't help you. <laughs> I did appreciate, though, how it's like I was like, wait, it's a old Edgar Allan Poe story. And they kind of put it in the modern day. I didn't grasp that part till it launch and I read the what the description was. Yeah, every episode is basically a take on a different Edgar Allan Poe story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but new in second, and this is an interesting, Bodies, 633 million minutes for eight episodes. Now this you did like. Yeah, this one was a little bit quirky and out of the blue. I don't know that most people were expecting it. A little bit of a sci-fi mm-hmm. time travel kind of story. Not necessarily Halloween fair, so it was weird that it came out when it did, but very clever in its execution. Yes, it's the appearance of a, a body in a murder mystery over four different time periods, one of which is the future and modern day and of course the the past but in the same you know same location and you see the perspective of the different timelines and and all that so yeah absolutely really really interesting concept and premiering on the 19th so um most of the week but still a good start and i expect to see it take a jump next week and thankfully in third nielsen has fixed their screw up from last week because here is goosebumps 594 million minutes for six episodes for some reason they placed it on acquired last week but no this is a new series that's available on both disney plus and hulu okay so we were right and they were wrong. Yes, they were wrong. We had questions. <laughs> yes. 
I will say this was unexpected when we talked about Goosebumps, especially as it's chiefly a Hulu series that also happens to play on Disney+. Plus. I did not expect this to be as strong as it is, so a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I'm not surprised to see it. The timeline is always, of course, weird because we're talking about Halloween releases a month later because these ratings are weeks behind. But yeah, no, this is this has always been a surprisingly resilient series from its book heyday in the 90s. And, and then there was even the, the movie adaptation uh, some some years back and now a what feels like a long delayed existence of a series. So I, I would imagine they would make another one for for next next year at this time. Love is Blind is fourth, 70 episodes, 574 millimeters. Of course, that was leading the last few weeks, or at least among the top of the originals chart as it was finishing up its latest season. And we will, of course, see it again when they put out the sixth one sometime next year, most likely. Loki adds an episode in fifth, 525 millimeters for nine total episodes. So we'll hold there throughout the month as it adds episodes up until um, mid-November. The Great British Baking Show returned last week as that's new seasons has begun in the UK. And then of course, they show up a few weeks later on Netflix, 447 million minutes for 89 total episodes. Pact of Silence we saw last week as well, 444 million minutes for the 18 episode telenovela. Yeah, mention of this telenovela on the charts last week sent me into a flurry of research. It rang a bell and it brought me to the miniseries Lace starring Phoebe Cates, which shocked 1984 sensibilities with the line, which one of you bitches is my mother? I've found <laughs> nothing to say that these two projects are related, but the plot is unquestionably the same. And if you don't know the quote Raul is mentioning, I should say that at one point in the early 1990s, TV Guide described that as the best line of dialogue in the history of television <laughs> up until that point. It's that seminal. Lupin, 16 episodes, 346 million minutes and eighth. Virgin River still here, 308 million minutes, 52 episodes. Expect that to disappear for a couple weeks, but then return in about a month from now when those holiday-themed episodes hit at the end of November. We wrap up Originals with The Morning Show from Apple TV+. Plus. 290 million minutes for 27 total episodes. This is not yet the final uh, episode of the third season. They're each... 10 episodes. It disappeared for a couple of weeks, but it's back, and I would expect it to hang around for the final two episodes. The finale of the third season arrived on November 8th, so it still has a couple more weeks. And I think they're doing a really good job of hovering at the bottom of the top 10, mm -hmm. which with Apple TV Plus shows is harder, so yes. they deserve some credit for that. Yes, we were joking about them for, for so long, because the only thing that made, ever made a dent on these ratings was Ted Lasso, until we finally got the third season of The Morning Show. Uh, and then, of course, they had uh, Hijack was here for a week a few months back. Movies is led by Old Dads, 728 million minutes. This is the a comedy by Bill Burr starring him, Bobby Cannavale, and Bokeem Woodbine that arrived on October 20th. The trailer to this, to me, is a total turnoff. Bill Burr playing basically Bill Burr. Himself, yeah. Yeah, himself. yeah is just so off-putting. Yeah, I would not have pegged this as being this successful. Actually, I know Bill Burr does have a pretty devoted comedic following. But yeah, this is actually a really good number for just three days, actually. This actually reminds me of a few years ago um, when I think it was Tim Allen and John Travolta were in something called Wild Hogs. Does that mm -hmm. sound familiar to anyone? Yep. Mm -hmm. This is basically the cheap Bill Burr equivalent of that on Netflix. <laughs> I kind of wonder, I mean, you know, to a certain extent, it's a joke, but is this going to be Netflix's equivalent to Hallmark where they just rip off famous movie concepts with cheaper, you know, made for streaming stars? 
Yeah, probably. That might be the formula because they're going to be cheaper to make. Just knockoffs of rather than go for, say, like a red notice and spend a lot of money on that. Go Just go for knockoffs and find people who, who will work cheaper. And you put that Netflix sheen on it and there you go. You, you get 728 million minutes. Still holding pretty well in second, though. Elemental from Disney Plus, 494 million minutes. I love that we're seeing the equivalent of streaming legs because it's been quite some time and uh, this is absolutely the film to do it. Right. And this is really just like the equivalent of a 10% drop, a little bit less than that. Actually, they're they're definitely showing that when a Disney Plus movie is good, like happened with Encanto, it can hang around forever, but it has to be good, which is why Haunted Mansion didn't do as well, did it, Tim? Nope. That one, after being at the top for a couple weeks, slid down to fourth, four and a 13 million minutes. So yeah, after like three weeks, Elemental has now has now surpassed it by just dropping less than he'd Haunted Mansion did. And here's the real concern there. Elemental is basically a K-drama. It is just a sweet little romantic comedy. Haunted Mansion is a Halloween film, and this was toward the end of October. Mm -hmm. They missed this with this one so badly. I know there's quality issues as well, but they should have put it in theaters at the start of October rather than in the summer. I will say that until my dying breath. I am with you. Time videos, The Burial, we saw arrive last week, still in third, 490 million minutes, so absolutely fine. Tommy Lee Jones and Jamie Foxx, right? Mm -hmm. Cool. All right, in fifth. From Netflix and Prime Video, Long Shot, 382 million minutes. Yes, this is the romantic comedy with Seth Rogen and Charlie Theron. Why do you ask? Because, of course. I know why. It came back to Netflix. And when I saw that it did, I'm like, oh, well, that'll be on the charts. Yes. For some reason, on October 16th, it returned from wherever it was. Well, which I guess was Prime Video. But now it's also mm -hmm. on Netflix. Yeah. Speaking of which, as long as we're on that topic, um, next week, so the Thanksgiving era week there are a whole lot of dc movies coming to netflix among a few other things so it'll be curious to see which of those potentially show up in the streaming ratings get that money david zaslav get it very much an aside <laughs> here but uh romantic comedy or fantasy <laughs> seth rogan and charlie theron yeah. not in this world <laughs> I really like Longshot. I will not accept your slander, sir. <laughs> yeah, it addresses the unlikeliness of it. It's a good movie. All right, something else new, at least from this year in six from Netflix. No Hard Feelings, finally. 313 million minutes. Yes, the Jennifer Lawrence R-rated comedy finally showed up on Netflix. It was probably around October 20th or so. All right. The teen sex comedy is just dead, y'all, because this is not good performance. No, this is not. I mean, just Champions to be clear, higher next week with a full week, but not a great start. Right. I mean, it's it's under Elemental, which is in week, what, week seven, I think? Something like that, yeah. Though, if you think about it, since it is a teen sex comedy, are they watching it on their phones rather than on, you know? Yeah, this may be doing better on second screen, good given, point. Yeah. Given, given the audience. Good, yes. Good point, Kim. But yeah, I do think we'll see it higher next week, but would expect better. But again, it is the limitations of these Nielsen ratings. Uh, seventh, 259 million minutes for Tammy, the 2014 movie from Melissa McCarthy, uh, written by her and co-written by and directed by her husband. So yeah, we knew this one. This one wasn't good, but it came one back to Netflix. Ones. Yeah, came back to Netflix on October 14th. So sure, here it is. Thankfully, that's this is now the whole week for it. So maybe we won't see it again. 
Uh, new in eighth, The Devil on Trial, 254 million minutes. This is basically the documentary version of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Basically about a, the person's defense was that in a murder trial was that literally, yes, the devil told me to do it. At least it's a movie-length documentary and not an episodic one, because I'm sure that would have done much better uh, on the original's rankings. But yeah, this came uh, to Netflix on the 17th. I guess it's close enough to being Halloween-themed. Explain this, because here's ninth. We are uh, a week away from Halloween. The Nightmare Before Christmas, 239 million minutes from Disney+, and still no Hocus Pocus. I'm wondering why the audiences all of a sudden got away, because the last couple of years, these movies shot back to the top of the, the movies chart. I mean, there's still hope for next week but i'm really surprised yeah as am i i've been looking for it and it kind of makes me wonder if disney needs to market hocus pocus a little bit more for that to happen but i also want to point out the fact this was the same weekend the nightmare before christmas finished number five or maybe number four in, at in the, the box, box office, office. Yeah. so this is just a stunning performance yeah, historically, we have seen this do better on the Nielsen's. And we wrap up movies with Reptile from Netflix that's been here for a few weeks now, 230 million minutes. Originals is 10 shows we have seen before, still led for, I don't know, the six months now for by suits, but just still just over a billion minutes. So we we probably will see a drop under a billion next week. Grey's Anatomy in second, 860 million minutes. And I'm still predicting Friends who launched the top in about two weeks now, once we get past the ratings with that include the death of Matthew Perry. Uh, we do still have The Simpsons here in eighth, 491 million minutes, 667 episodes, because people flock to Treehouse of Horror episodes during this month. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all I have for the ratings. It wasn't much this week. It's um, mostly fascinating on focusing on the movies. That was the most interesting thing this week by far. I love to see Elemental just having streaming legs, and uh, hopefully we get some new shows in the original start pretty soon. All right. Thank you, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Harley Quinn has survived David Zaslav's axe for another season. The animated series has been renewed for season five on Max. Speaking of the Simpsons, it's like Homer Simpson going, you're cut, you're cut, you're cut. Oh, I can't cut you. That's right. (laughs) Because Harley Quinn was proactive enough to hire James Gunn (laughs) before he became the overlord of all things DC, Harley Quinn has survived. But let me tell you, this speaks volumes about the entire situation. This was a no-brainer renewal that should have happened in season. And yet here we had to wait two very tense months after the fact. And let me tell you, the producers of the show were saying on social media. I mean, we're told we're back, but you never really know. That's how little confidence anyone has when they work at Warner Brothers Discovery right now. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney's doc series Welcome to Wrexham has been renewed by Hulu for a third season. So stop looking at the League 2 table or it will spoil the ending for you. I hate that I knew how season two ended before I actually watched it. Rob Lowe's comedy series, Unstable, has been renewed by Netflix for a second season. It's a pale imitation of his 2015 Fox series, The Grinder, but I'll take it. Lowe plays an eccentric CEO of a tech company. There was a cliffhanger at the end of season one, so I'd like to see where they go with it on season two. And Love Island USA has been renewed for two more seasons. I bet you care so little that you didn't even know that this show is on Peacock and not Netflix. Gross. They're all interchangeable at this point. Exactly. 
As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And last night I watched the first four episodes of the new Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. And it is delightful. It is unexpected. It is wonderful. There are some fun cameos that you won't expect. All of the original cast has returned, plus a few other people. I'm not going to say any more because I don't want to spoil anything, but just watch it. If you liked the books, if you liked the graphic novels, if you liked the movie, you will thoroughly enjoy this. Raul, how about you? This week, I watched David Fincher's latest film, The Killer, on Netflix. Michael Fassbender stars as an assassin for hire who has to deal with the consequences of his latest job having gone wrong. It's no epic film, as some of Fincher's other movies have been, but the narrative is strangely compelling. It's pretty much a character study of a single person, as Fassbender is in every scene, moving from location to location, dealing with the fallout. Fassbender is hypnotic as he narrates his story. The movie is nearly two hours long, but it doesn't feel it and it's very well paced as most of Fincher's projects are. I don't think this movie is really going to stick with me long term, but I certainly didn't consider it a waste of my time. If you have two hours to kill, the movie will certainly do the job. And I will also toss out a follow-up to what's new in streaming last week as the BBC special Bernard and the Genie is available on Amazon Freebie, so you can watch it and it won't cost you anything. And David and I will do that. Tim, how about you? Um, while the game I was hoping to talk about this week was pushed back to next year at the last minute, I did spend a little time with something else that saw its full release last week after a couple years in early access. As I talked about before, I love the Fallout series. I will take a chance on any game that's an homage to the first two games from the 90s, which are isometric turn-based games rather than open world. Uh, anyway, I played a game called Colony Ship, a sci-fi RPG taking place in a post-apocalyptic society that entirely takes place within a spaceship hurling through through space to a new livable destination. Of course, this journey takes several hundred years, so the initial voyagers are long departed and their descendants have splintered into multiple factions and societies and the ship is falling apart. You're a character living in a place called The Pit, a town of basically shipping containers, scraping out a living, salvaging where you can, when what seems to be a typical job from your buddy eventually thrusts you into being the linchpin who decides who ends up in charge. It's your standard RPG design, you set your stats and your skills, gain experience for completing missions and find companions along the way. This developer has made games similar to this before, one was in a medieval setting and both games make it very clear that you're not a hero you're just a guy so like strengths in one area will create deficiency in the other you can be a smooth talker but probably at the expense of your combat skills or vice versa also even if you're going for a combat focus you're not exactly going to charge into a room of four guys and clear them all out by yourself you will die a horrible horrible death most likely uh, i'm enjoying it so far that they do stress that it's a challenge there will be times you end up in an unwinnable fight and have to reload and find a different approach or come back later i'm totally okay with that if any of this sounds interesting to you they've also provide a lengthy demo so you can decide for yourself because I think the full price of it is like 30, 35 bucks. I got it on sale I think last year for like 20. Maybe it'll go on sale during the big winter steam sale. So I would advise checking the demo out first for just going ahead and buying it. But it does promise a lot of replayability for your different builds and choices that you make. So for right now, thumbs up and I'm hoping to spend more time with it when I have more time in the future. Yeah, I'm like Tim. I'm a fan of those classic isometric top-down games. I loved Fallout Tactics at the time and uh, other games similar to it, like the original Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. Just 
visually so gorgeous, stunning, pleasing, entertaining, just a lot of fun. So um, looking at this one, Colony Ship, it is very much a throwback to that look and feel, and I'm very looking forward to it. And I wanted to add on a tangent, uh, one of the games that Tim spoke about highly for some time in the past was Hades. That is a game that Netflix is going to be adding to their library of Netflix games. And so if you are a Netflix subscriber, you'll be able to play it, but only on iOS. Very weird, but very cool. Okay, David, what's been keeping you busy? Yeah, so I date someone who was the only person in the theater on opening night to cosplay as Ramona Flowers when the Scott (laughs) Pilgrim movie was released. So there's 0% chance I'm going to say anything negative about the television series because, frankly, I don't want to go through a divorce. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm actually going to ping pong this back to Kim. Kim, you watched something else this week. What did you think of the Jack Reacher premiere episode? Shockingly excellent. The lead, and I have no idea what his name is, but he is actually really fun in that role. And I was not expecting to enjoy that premiere episode as much as I did. But here we are. It had some surprises along the way. So I am definitely excited to watch the rest of the season and season two when it comes soon in December. I do have to say, having seen the trailer to season two, I'm glad the guy is very large and very muscular because I don't think that his acting is really the reason he got the job. Oh, I disagree. Okay. Yeah, I think you'd be surprised if you start watching. You'll see that there's something there. Then someone needs to have a talk to the people who are editing the trailers because (laughs) they boil down to, I'm Jack Reacher and I'm going to punch you until I fix things. He's actually been typecast, and part of it is his own fault. He was in The Hunger Games Catching Fire as a character named Gloss, where he was basically just supposed to look absolutely intimidating in front of Katniss. That was really his own purpose. And then later he produced and wrote on a show he starred in called Blue Mountain State with Denise Richards, if that sounds familiar to you. And those things did a wonderful job in lowering expectations to where you couldn't possibly think he was a good actor. And he shows up on Reacher, and in 15 minutes, you're just going, Who is this? Because Mm -hmm. he's out Tom Cruising Tom Cruise in that role. Absolutely. Yes. Strongly recommended. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streaming void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 